Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello to anyone listening. This is the Robert Lego podcast for uh, honestly, I'm not sure if I missed one last year. So this might be for December of 22. And if not, it's the first one of 2023 as as is the year today. Uh, I have some more facts from the bathroom reader we can go through. And then I have some subjects that are it feels like they're kind of uh, broad in in the categories that they're in, but ultimately they all kind of connect. Uh, so look forward to that. that and that's uh, because I got into this book that I I actually bought almost right when it was out uh, because I really like this author. And uh, if you are a listener of the podcast from a while back, a couple years back, I went through... And I, I was planning to read the entire book just in however many parts it uh, would take me. And maybe that's something I can try and revisit now because at the time I kind of lost steam because I wasn't, um, I was stumbling over a lot of the subjects on there and I, I just, uh, I don't know what happened to be honest, but it's such an amazing book that I, I think that it'd be a great thing to read it and comment on it and, and put it out there. So maybe in the future, if you guys care for it, uh, and, and that was for uh, rule by secrecy, which is uh, in my opinion, one of the best books informing you on how it all connects. And then he had his uh, rise of the fourth Reich, which is also an amazing book. I probably really uh, something really informative to read today because it kind of ties in how a lot of the corporations that helped the Nazi regime and funded it and technologically supported them and, and so on. All those companies are still alive and well today. And uh, some of them are like uh, skeletons of what they used to be. And others are just like a full on fledged corporation that just exists today. Um, which it, it, it's one of those things that gets you into this uh, conspiracy thought that it, it's like, wait, if the Nazi uh, ideal and, and regime and all of this, this uh, just the, the, the whole concept itself is still alive and well today, then that is very telling that we're talking about Nazis in the public today and all the what the Antifa is it, is that? what the new one is i i don't know i i feel like when i'm doing these podcasts when i'm doing the research i i'm in a uh let's say in a, a virtual space of just darkness around me with just everything to explore and when i'm focusing on a subject i can only shine my light on a certain amount of area because it these veins just connect everywhere. It's all kind of interconnected. And if not, it, it'll it kind of have the same 
uh, qualities or or techniques to come about. Uh, so, uh, man, yeah, that's not too much rambling, right? Uh, thank you, thank you for for coming here. Uh, let's get into first the the bathroom reader, and then oh, I didn't even say the the book that I was um, that kind of sparked a lot of these connections, and that I'm going to be reading from after the facts at the beginning is uh, the trillion dollar conspiracy by Jim Mars. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll get into that after, and I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts on it. I'm about halfway through, but it, it it's a amazing book. I highly recommend it. So uh, the giant bathroom reader um, were all the way, what is that, like the last quarter of the book and my next mark, I don't know, I must have left it um, based on subject, but the next mark is uh, flat earthery. So I don't even remember why I marked it. So let's just read through it. Wilbur Glenn... Voliva, the second chief administrator of Zion City, home of the Apostolic, Apostolic, see what I see why I couldn't read that book. The uh, Apostolic Apostle, Apostolic Church in Illinois rules 16,000 inhabitants with an iron hand banning cigarettes and alcohol and imposing a 10 p.m. curfew. Women were forbidden to cut their hair, expose their necks, or saddle a horse, wear lipstick or immodest clothing, clothing, including swimming costumes and high heels. No one was allowed to whistle, sing, or even hum on Sundays or drive a vehicle over five miles per hour. Voliva's extraordinary laws were policed by his Praetorian guard who wore special uniforms with the word patience written on their helmet and wore small small Bibles on their belts instead of truncheons. Truncheons? Some offenders were summarily, summarily fined on the spot. The unlucky ones were delivered to Voliva himself and given a one-hour lecture on their sins. Voliva's theories on how to run a community were the one thing. Were one thing. His grasp of astrophysics were quite another. In 1922, Voliva became the first religious broadcaster to found a radio station, the 5,000 watt WCBD to preach flat earthery to people as far away as New Zealand. Voliva's regular broadcast taught that the earth was a saucer shape, that the North Pole was positioned at the center and the South Pole was a crust of ice running around the outer rim. Uh, if you remember, that's the, the typical design of the flat earth, or at least one of the main theories. Uh, the rest of the universe, the sun, the stars, and the moon were fastened to the sky and were much closer than the astronomers, poor, ignorant, conceited fools, in quotes, had always claimed. The idea of a sun millions of miles in diameter and 91 million miles away is silly, Voliva explained. The sun is only 32 miles across and is not more than 3,000 miles from the earth. 
It stands to reason that it must be so. God made the sun to light the earth and therefore must have placed it close to the task it was designed to do. The sun apparent the sun's apparent cycle of rising and setting, he continued, was merely an optical illusion. Voliva had frequently predicted the world's imminent destruction, but always found new calcula uh, calculations for future Armageddons. When he died in 1934, aged 72, his offer of a $5,000 reward to anyone who could prove the earth was not flat remained uncollected. A couple of things to say there. Uh, the $5,000 uh, reward is kind of like the uh, what um, the Magic Randy? Magic Randy Supernatural. Uh, um, I guess it's reward also. Uh, James Rand, what is his name? James Randy, the magic, uh, $1 million paranormal challenge. Here we go. James Randy educational foundation. So this guy, uh, offered essentially $1 million to anyone that can, uh, reasonably pl prove anything supernatural to this guy. And, uh, up to the point when he passed away, there was nobody um, was able to collect it. Uh, wait, where does it say? 96, one of his friends, Rick Adams, donated a million for the prize. Oh, yeah. So he did it, I guess, as a dare, and it, it started climbing up. And it ultimately just sat there with a million dollars for anybody that can uh, prove it. But it, this is a... Uh, I, I feel like it's a interesting thing that it might not be as simple as whoa look at that right there look at it, it it's uh it's almost like a, a, in mysterious universe they often mention that the supernatural has a very unique quality to it that as uh the harder that you try to uh pinpoint it and and kind of uh prove it or record it or or do something of the sort it kind of dissipates it kind of backtracks from it uh it makes me think of the way that they explain quantum mechanics where the observer's perspective actually affects the experiment itself uh if that sounds cryptic enough that's really how it always is they say all these uh, statements that don't really make sense but Anyway, yeah, so they, he offered that money and, and they didn't. And I, I'm wondering if it's something similar with this because he's offering $5,000 in 1934 for somebody to prove it. And uh, I got to say, there's some tests that I've seen online where it really makes you scratch your head. And um, I was not necessarily in... in to the whole flat earth idea, but the, I, I have to say a lot of the uh, examples really made me uh, question a lot of the things. And so when I went up to Colorado, you can see on probably, when was that? I would think no more than five or six episodes back from this one that you're hearing now. I, I did a couple tests there and I, I obviously in Colorado, you were at a, the mile high city. So uh, factoring that in, there's uh, a whole different set of, of things that I felt I can test there versus the sea level or closer to the sea level, which is where I live in L.A. Um, 
we're what it's it's not even that many feet up from the sea level because i know on my old route they had uh tsunami warning um escape routes and and the such so uh, in la you can drive less than 30 minutes and be at the beach so yeah take of that what you will and i do have to say that my test didn't prove the flat earth or uh, uh or um disprove the round theory i should say but in my test i kind of left it open in saying that it still doesn't tell me that uh it still leaves the possibility that the earth could be a lot bigger than they tell us which is what i've always stood by at, at the very least the planet might be bigger than than we're told uh but there's a thing that popped up that I highly recommend if you have any interest in the flat earth, you need to check out uh, Folding Ideas. And I mean, it's a guy named, uh, I think it's Dan Olson. And let me go on here so I can tell you the exact name of the video. He does a test where he's ultimately uh in a very fair manner he discussed the community of the flat earth online and how all of that happens okay i believe the one i'm talking about is in search of the flat earth uh it was from two years ago and uh, i just happened to come across it finally but anyway, no, this, this guy's really great. I, I've seen some of his other videos. And this one is the only video where he uh, he doesn't really a attack the flat earthers. He does analyze the group and their reactions and behavior. Uh, but when he actually gets into the test, he sincerely does what essentially I tried to do, which is just go in it blindly, do a test and see what the data tells you. But... Uh, he essentially does show curvature in water, which with that test alone, it kind of throws all the other stuff out of the way. Because if you're able to show me a flat surface of water and show that within a certain amount of distance, that water will eventually start to curve, then that does tell me that it is... Uh, possible that that we are on a on a spherical form versus a uh i don't know what the theory what the shape they call is but it's kind of like uh i always hear it compared to like a roulette wheel the north pole at the middle and everything's uh, spinning around it and that all that force creates the gravity and and so on um there is also another one about a geocentrist documentary that tricked a bunch of people to be on and stuff. Um, quite interesting, but uh, doesn't really touch on, on that. It's more on the uh, location. So, yeah. Uh, what else? What did he say here that I might be missing? Um, yeah, the predicting the end of the world over and over always affects this type of thing but um but yeah there, there's no doubt that like he mentions the conceited fools the astronomers um th there's 
most professions, what is it, archaeology? There's so many fields where anything that just goes against the norm is just attacked and ridiculed and never even considered. Uh, so that is a big problem. But, uh, yeah, you can't just uh, throw it all out. It, it, whether you like the person or not, you, what we're here to do is just to analyze the data, not who it's coming from. And uh, I think we can get closer to truth by doing that. Uh, moving on. Wow, that was just one. And we're 15 minutes in. Uh, get thee to a nunnery. Because of their deservedly bad press, the term nunnery in, Elizabeth, in Elizabethan times also meant brothel. When Hamlet told Ophelia, get thee to a nunnery, it wasn't an invitation to join a convent. I don't know why I marked that one, but that's interesting. But I, I, I maybe this is why I knew this was going to spark something. Shakespeare being one of the guys that's believed to have created the English language. Uh, and I don't know how mm, plausible a theory like that could be, but it does kind of tickle this conspiracy um, joy trying to really make sense of that because I can't think of other literary works where they really analyze how the uh, formulation of the uh, rhetoric is, is kind of put together. What, what I mean is I've heard people explain, oh, no, no, when you read Shakespeare, you have to think of it as a, or you have to read it in the perspective of, and for you to need to prep yourself, I mean, the only book I can think of like that would be the Bible for you to need to get into the proper spirit to really understand what the words are telling you. Uh, but in, in Shakespeare's sense, it's almost like the way the character Yoda in Star Wars speaks, where it's the... Um, I wasn't great at, at English. Whatever the order of uh, subject, predicate, verb, noun, all the all those things is. I know that in Spanish, two of them are, are reversed. Is it the noun and the verb? But with Shakespeare, I, I don't know if there's a specific formula, but I know that the way that they're saying things, it's almost like, uh, and, and this, one of the times that it really made sense to me is they explained it as, you kind of have to numb yourself and kind of take it in uh, indirectly almost. So it, it's it, like if it were a painting, rather than stand in front of it and kind of like stare at it, it's better to kind of like look at it like through your periphery and kind of squint and go to the corner of the room where you're not really distracted by the glare of certain things. And it, it's just this whole weird thing. So it, it does make you wonder if there's this author that really played with words in such a way that it's not found anywhere else that there would be claims that that person might have been behind like uh mystery people in history or somebody that actually translated or created a specific way of speaking or a, a language in itself um a conundrum, the medieval Christian church was faced with a problem whenever a pregnant woman died. Because unbaptized babies 
were not allowed burial in Christian cemeteries, the fetus would often be cut from the mother's corpse and buried outside the cemetery in unconsecrated ground. Jeez, right? Those things where there's no real written rule. This is the problem with how society is going now. Look at me sounding like an old man. This is the problem with society. What I mean is I've been in, in situations where I'm old, fairly old, middle-aged, whatever. I'm over 40. Um, I've seen, I've seen some things, man. I've seen things. I've seen uh, like the, the exchange of buying something. I, I've seen it go from when I was a kid, you go to the movies and you go to the ticket box and you give them your money and they give you the paper ticket and you go and you go in your movie and now, uh, uh, or even just food. And uh, now it's like all through the phone to where I don't know what the last concert or movie I went where it didn't require your phone, uh, which is a dreadful thing for people my age and older. The fact that the the majority of it is done through your phone. And I don't know, we kind of grew up not trusting our devices like that and not wanting to tie that into our money. But it's just is what it is. And it's here to stay. And when those uh, systems fail, it's so crazy. Like I, I've, I've complained before where I've put money in. Uh, no, I was at a movie and the ticket thing, there's no people at the register or no, I think there, there was a huge line. So I went to the machine, the machine ended up charging me twice. So then I, I had the choice of either standing in that long line to get the refund. So I decided to just go home and call, of course, the, the, uh, automated service. Again, look at how every step of the human interaction, if it was put it this way, if the, was a one-on-one exchange between two people. I'm not talking about deceiving the corporation or anything like that. It's, I bought a ticket and when I got the receipt, it said that I bought two and then I can easily just turn to the guy and be like, hey dude, it's just me. Look, I got charged twice. Oh, excuse me, sir, let me see. Yeah, clearly you did get charged twice. And then I, I would just immediately get a refund. Even if there was an issue or, or something with the computer or something happened, the guy would get the manager and they'd manually go and, and whatever, cancel the transaction, reverse it, give me my money back. But with what happened in, in this modern day, I got charged twice. I didn't want to stand in line for 45 minutes to get my whatever it was, $7 back. So I went home, I made a phone call. I went through all the automated service because why would they pay somebody to sit at the phone and keep their customers happy, right? So I went through all the options multiple times. I had to recall and make sure that I wasn't missing the option when there wasn't a thing for a problem with billing or problem, some something that kind of pointed to my issue. I ended up just leaving a voicemail in the general thing. And it says, we'll get back to you in so many days or whatever it was. And if I'm not mistaken, I 
believe I also jumped on the computer and sent an email asking about this. And I, in the end, just let it go. You know what? I'm like, as it is, I've already sat on the phone a bunch of times. I wrote an email. I I did all this. And how much more am I going to need to do to get my $7 back? But this is my point that this is that that in this sense i guess it's more ignorance or inexperience to an unforeseen circumstance um and how terrible that that you're doing it's like man i'm trying to think of another example where they have like this one rule like Okay, here's one. I was at um at an airport. Maybe that it, it doesn't make sense. I'll, I'll throw this one out, and if not, we can just move on. Uh, I was about to board a plane, and I in my backpack I had a a beer, and it was this really smooth beer. I, I believe I I drank one the night before, and then I had an extra one, and I said, you know what? I'll just take it with me. I'll I'll check my bag, and I'll. Maybe I didn't. Maybe it was on my carry-on. But point is, they found the can, and although it was sealed, it's it's there's no danger in it. They're like, "Sir, you're going to need to throw it out." And I, it, I want to say, no, that wasn't one that I wanted to save the can. But anyway, they're like, "Yeah, you're going to need to pour it out here in this trash can." And I said, "Well, can I just drink it instead?" Man, I hope I, I'm, I'm now I'm not even sure if I'm mixing up two stories because this happened with the soda once and with the beer another point time and the security agent, the BS agent that the actor there that's pretending to keep us safer said something along the lines of you're welcome to drink it if you want. And I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And I just downed this thing right there and like people around me, people getting pat down and everything and I'm just chugging this entire thing and threw the can and went and got on our plane and uh, it's so dumb to me that it's like he it, it's one more one more example it, it's it, and this is even a, maybe a further stretch it's kind of like when you go to I, I mentioned this one before when you go to a theme park and you see, let's say there's a churro vendor and you want a churro and you know it's going to be expensive. So you're like, uh, you walk up, hey, uh, can I get a churro? How much are they? Whatever amount that they say, he might say 15, 20 bucks. And you're just like, okay, I'll have one. When you say, okay, I'll have one. You know that you're getting ripped off. He knows that you're getting ripped off. And this whole exchange is happening, but the profits are going to the, the corporation, the establishment, the what, whatever place you're at. And it's that thing where it's like, sorry, man, the rule's been set. I, I, I apologize, but we're, we're going to take advantage of you right now. And um, it just seems so dumb. It, it almost feels like it's... Uh, it's not that it's more effective to have machines instead of people, but it's the best way for the company.
because um, that the, I just can't get off the subject, huh? On Friday last week, I was talking to a mechanic and we were uh, talking about how there's a uh, wage shortage and not a, uh, sorry, a, a, um, yeah, a wage shortage and not a labor shortage. And he was saying, you know what? I, I know two people that are right now currently constantly applying for jobs and just most places won't hire. And then we, we pointed out a specific fact that most fast foods and a lot of, I, um, he pointed out a lot of Asian restaurants ever since this whole thing went down, the, you know, the end result of catching pedophiles around the world, that, that thing that got us all sick around the world, that thing, um, when that was happening everywhere, a lot of the restaurants really gutted their staff to the point where you got one or two guys in the back cooking, which are going to show up before they, they, they probably got the least affected maybe. And then you have that one server running the register, checking the tables, do, doing all the other stuff. And they can easily hire more people to help. But since this whole event taught them, Hey, you can run your 10 person staff restaurant with only three people or maybe two because the, the guy that shows up at the morning leaves and then you got two more running the whole place. It's like somehow they've allowed the companies to hire so little staff that they're kind of compensating for all the robbery that's going on currently and um it's so messed up because that is also the same people that they don't want to give raises to they don't want to increase their salary they don't want to for them to have uh health care like these people they expect to have such a uh, how do you say such a low status position that they just take what they get and they're happy with it that that's what they want them to to feel they they cannot complain they cannot ask for more money they cannot ask for more hours it's just it's such a sad state of affairs and it feels like maybe the at least now i've been thinking about this lately it feels like one of the only things you can truly do is is just kind of almost like hoard your money as much as you can be as as money savvy as you possibly can uh, i'm not saying don't go out but limit that and uh it, have that understanding although let me search this real quick uh oh here i'll make a note because we're gonna go back to that this tangent's been going on too long um but yeah i'll i'll, I'll cover a topic on how I what what I think is the only thing that we can really do right now because it does seem a little difficult to kind of fight back when uh, all this stuff is going on. All right, um, should we do maybe a couple more and then we'll get onto the show? Um, mm, yeah, let's do these two at least. Um. Makeup punishable by death. During the reign of Elizabeth I, the church proclaimed that any woman found guilty of leading a subject 
or of Her Majesty into marriage by wearing cosmetics, makeup, or high-heeled shoes should be burned as a witch. This was an unusual ruling, given that the queen herself was a pr prolific cosmetics abuser, especially in her later years. According to the fashion of the day, unmarried women wore their breasts exposed, a habit Elizabeth favored well into her 60s. Her breasts were heavily powdered and covered in cereus, cereus? the popular lead-based whitener which scarred and poisoned the women of northern Europe for centuries, and her veins were highlighted with blue dye. Goodness. A um, couple things there. So, um, this made me think of Peterson, because he's always bringing up, what about lipstick? Maybe we should ban lipstick. It's like... Oh geez, what what year are you from, Peterson? Like, oh man. Uh, okay, and then the last one before we move on. Uh, toothing. Early British dentures were mounted sets of human teeth ex extracted from corpses. Toothing in early nineteenth century was big business, and the teeth of dead became valuable commodities. Many body snatchers took to toothing as a lucrative way to spend their spare time. In 1808, two of England's most notorious body snatchers, the prize fighter and gang leader Ben Crotch and his sidekick Daniel Butler, went on a business holiday to the pen Peninsular War to protect teeth from corpses on the battlefield. Teeth from the dead of the American Civil War were shipped to England to be worn by the rich and the fashionable. Just when you think that there's not another surprising fact, isn't that crazy? <laughs> Collecting teeth from corpse. Oh, man. Um, let's do one more because this is like a medical thing, I think. Uh, liquid sunshine, radium water. Um, in the 1920s, beauty parlors all over the U.S. installed x-ray equipment to remove unwanted facial and body hair. Radiation was touted as a cure-all for every imaginable disease. Products available include radioactive toothpaste for winter, for whiter teeth and better digestion, radioactive face creams to lighten the skin, even radium-laced chocolate bars. A brisk trade in radioactive patent medicine thrives, thrived well into the 1930s. One of the most popular preparations was radium water, promoted in the United States as a generic, general tonic and known as liquid sunshine. It was responsible for the deaths of several thousand people. In 1932, Frederick Godfrey, the well-known British hairstylist, hair specialist was advertising a radioactive hair tonic and as late as 1953 a company in denver was promoting a radium-based contraceptive jelly this makes me think let me see when oh yeah when did uh uh when did when did we radiate vegetables yeah let's see was it the 70s because uh, I mean people didn't know back then 
1979? No. No, that was a meltdown. Um, vegetables. Yeah. So, historic timeline. 1963 FDI approved floor irradiation. Uh, I guess it was way after then. How interesting that in 1953 they had, uh, they're like, oh, there was a product. But we were doing it after that too. It's almost like they really thought that this was some miracle thing. Hey, radiation, the new thing. And uh, they were ingesting it every possible way. And then when they're like, oh, no, people are actually dying from this. We should stop this. How about we radiate the things we consume? And uh, that actually proved really uh, profitable for them, from my understanding, because a lot of the vegetables were modified to better uh, types. Like sometimes it would have different types of nutrients and other times it would sustain like better yields and uh, it would survive harsher winters or temperatures and all that stuff. It's when they start finding out that it's like, hey, and this thing like is immune to these poisons. Um that's when it's shocking, but then it's interesting because sometimes those tests will kind of hint that this might not be the best thing to be putting into people. And then it, later it comes out that, oh, actually, that's really, really bad for you. It's uh, actually going to kill you little by little. You should stop doing that. Um, it's just like everything, right? The doctor's telling you to have a cigarette and later he's telling you that you're getting cancer all right so okay uh i'm i'm kind of taking a while here but i have my notes and i guess we can just i'll I'll follow this guideline to kind of keep us in the same ballpark and whatever i don't cover just know that um, I'll do another audio most, more than likely, and I might write on this. But yeah, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy by Jim Mars. Uh, that's M-A-R-R-S. Uh, I don't know if I have all his books, but so far, the uh, off the top of my head at least, actually, there's one other one where he kind of goes through all the conspiracies. And I don't believe that I've gone through that one, but all the books that I've gone through that are by Jim Mars so far have been great books and highly recommended. They're the type of book that you, if you're like-minded, if you like having like uh, these facts that uh, you can pull up and show people how, I don't know, uh, uh, here's one that's coming up, how aspartame is terrible for us, but you want to be able to just kind of pull a book off the shelf and just read something really quick or, or point something out to someone these are the the books um they're very informative and um very uh source heavy so um yeah they're great resources all right so um the reason why i was saying that all these subjects are kind of kind of connect is because the people that are up at the top the the controllers of our our society and our world are for the most part narcissistic uh sociopaths um wait let me find this 
Um, sociopaths can't. Let me see. I, I don't. Right. I heard this. Um, a while. Non-sociopath. I'm not finding the exact thing, but uh, it was essentially saying that sociopaths are not a creative mind, that it's more like a, a narcissistic trait, that it's like it's me, 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 me. And uh, what you essentially get is somebody that's just there to corrupt the system. They will essentially just try and figure out what they can get out of the exchange and beyond that they really don't care if the world uh, turns to muck so these are the type of people that are very dangerous in positions of power uh, and ultimately because as you know like for example a police officer is, is a position that has power and authority and those that kind of grew up without that or people that crave that type of attention will, are going to be more leaning towards that direction no different than if somebody wants to be famous then they're obviously going to be more leaning towards uh avenues where they can uh, express their opinion more and get the attention that they they desire and uh so but the bad thing is though that these uh, for example the pharmaceutical industry which is mostly what we're going to focus on for this show is uh a hundred percent victim to this this whole setup that all they have to do is just get one of their cronies into the leader position and then ultimately from either the head of the company uh, or pharmaceutical go into government or vice versa and ultimately they're just giving them like just thousands and thousands of dollars in their pockets and I mean, later it comes out and it really doesn't matter because what's done is done. And then the people are suffering for these like backdoor deals that, I don't know, give medicine manufacturers the green light to give us something that might not be the best for us. Um, all right. So let's see. <clears throat> of course, the main thing that comes up with that, and it's a subject that I've hesitated currently because it's under so much uh, attack and that's uh, vaccines the um, whole subject is just it's just gross right now I uh, just I, I really sincerely thank God that I was able to make it through most of this thing without having to inject myself with this what is it recumbent DNA freaking thing that's modifying our insides and who knows what it's doing down the line like I, I honestly just thank god that i i was able to stay working and and i really did not have to stick this thing that they're not really even sure and they can't even guarantee is safe or, or effective or anything um i i've talked before on how even now when you're you go and you do this this is one of those things that you can prove to yourself Next time you have to do a test for this thing that's going around this this uh, uh, invisible monster, um, non-visible, invisible. Uh, this 
the test that you're taking, if, for example, you have insurance. I know there's a, there's a lot that are quote unquote free. You just go fill out the form. Well, the state is often covering that cost. And when you look into it, I've seen receipts. I hope I saved it, but I, I saw one where it was a couple hundred dollars. Keep in mind, this is a test that I, it's very similar to the ones that you can just get and take yourself, but it's done by a licensed professional. And this person is, is going to say, yeah, I saw the test. It said it, it he was um, positive or negative or whatever it is, um, ignoring all the bad tests and negative results uh, that are labeled positive. Um, but yeah, it, all of that is, is just robbery. It's robbery. There, there's, I don't know for a fact, and I, I, I not even sure if I can access all that information to prove or disprove this, but it looked to me like a lot of these are essentially just medical establishments, clinics, what have you with they're trained professionals, but a lot of the locations that you saw on the streets were not like uh, seasoned um, nurses that are not uh, getting enough hours and, and doing some extra thing or doing some philanthropy work on the side to help their fellow man. It seemed like it's a cash grab. They set up a little thing. They do, I don't know, a hundred, maybe 200 tests a day. And they're pocketing easily thousands and thousands of dollars uh, from the state. And like I said, I, I've, I've done these tests with insurance and I've seen the charges on there. It's a test that I'm sure costs no more than $20. And they're charging... Oftentimes, somewhere around a hundred to one hundred and fifty dollars. If that's not upselling something ridiculous thing in a time when you're terrified that people are dying, it, it's just so backwards to to make people fear this thing that has such a mo monumental survival rate, yet have people stick more dangerous things into their veins and, and do all this other song and dance that, it, that anyway, enough about that. Okay. So let me show you something for it, I guess in, in order to kind of like kick things off, I want to show you 113. This was, I, I just marked this. Some of the stuff was just, <sighs> shocking me so much and and i was just so happy with how he was putting the information down that i was just dog-earing and marking pages like crazy uh let me just read this paragraph we have a survey that describes 120 signs and symptoms added nancy nicholson in the case of the pathogenic michael mycoplasmas that we investigated, we found the HIV-1 envelope gene associated with the mycos, mycos, mycoplasma. This gene renders the mycoplasma more deadly. I have always wondered how many people that have been diagnosed as HIV positive actually have the chimeric A mosaic of the mycoplasma 
bacterian, and HIV. Reportedly, there are ten. The, reportedly, there are ten strains of HIV. HIV one promotes AIDS by com- compromising the immune system, whereas HIV two does not promote AIDS. The other eight HIV strains are included in the biowarfare arsenal, the patho- pathogenic. Mycoplasma can promote a non-HIV AIDS that mimics the symptoms of AIDS. No one will talk about this, said Nancy Nicholson. The mycoplasma have been genetically engineered with pieces of genetic material from other pathogens, such as brucella. The my, uh, brucella is a substance that they really warn against. It's uh, believed to be one of the main reasons. Oh, wait, am I getting ahead of myself? Brucella, Brucella. Yeah, let me just keep reading. If not, I'll, I'll owe you that fact. Uh, the mycoplasmas are often cofactors with the Lyme disease microorganism. All these energies, all these emergency correlate. Excuse me. All these emerging di- diseases correlate to biowarfare experiments conducted during the Cold War that went seriously awry. Remember the U.S. didn't a, a pro, Remember the U.S. did approximately 208 open-air tests on the U.S. population without their knowledge or consent over a 30-year period. So let's, uh, yeah, let me just do the last chapter. I didn't even know there was different types of HIV uh, viruses. Okay, continuing. Uh, it is possible that the crystalline disease. T- toxin from the pathogen is one of the mycoplasma species, a technological feat accomplished by U.S. military biochemical research working with the Nazi paperclip scientists. Uh, Just a side note, Nazi um, paperclip scientists, paperclip was a project where after the Nazi regime was, was quote unquote taken down, uh, the U.S. kind of stepped in and like, like uh, rescuing innocent children went in and brought a bunch of the Nazi scientists back and uh, they kind of were like all the crimes that they did was kind of ignored uh, in exchange for them serving us, I guess. I don't know. Uh, In 1946, the director of the war research service, George W. Merck, reported the possibility of using crystalline toxins to Secretary of War Robert P. Patterson. It should be noted that the War Research Service initiated America's biological weapon program, and Merck went on to become president of the Merck and Company pharmaceutical firm. Although Merck died in 1957, his early knowledge of the disease toxin means it could have been passed along to his colleagues at Merck Pharmaceutical. That Merck was involved in such research that can be seen in a New England Journal of Medicine article that noted that the study of hepatitis B vaccine used extensively in gay and drug-addicted communities was supported by a grant from the Department of Viral and Cell Biology of Merck, Sharp and Dome Research Laboratories, West Point, Virginia. Um, okay, so you, you get the idea. Not even touching on uh, I, there's another book that I, I still need to go through and it's uh, inventing the AIDS virus or something like the that or the HIV virus and uh, that also details something that, that made me think of this he's concerned that the uh, 
the HIV viruses that do not um, bring about AIDS or promote AIDS, to use their their uh, their rhetoric, um, the HIV one is the only one that promotes the AIDS uh, a virus or messing with the immune system, I should say. So all the others are not. But how interesting that, okay, there, there's a, a whole plethora, okay? There's 10 of them. One of them is the one we really are concerned against. I'm assuming, um, I could be wrong, but let's say that the one is the main concern. And if you were to test people and all the others could potentially point to having AIDS when you don't, you would think that there's something backwards there. It's almost like two in their in their interests because any, again, just like what I was mentioning with the, the tests and, and everything at the beginning, I don't think it's a mistake that we're constantly hearing when all these pandemics, quote unquote, are happening. When when they're happening, we're constantly hearing like, oh, the numbers are inflated. Oh, the numbers are wrong. Oh, a lot of those contain false tests. There's so much of that all the time. And how how is it often in their favor? Like when it, when a mistake is done and they're trying to scare us, the mistake is always done in the positive number. They don't like, oh, and we also missed another million tests over here. They're like, no, we found four, four million when they only had, I don't know, 4,000. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, so yeah, but th that's one. Now, let me, let me read you this other. Oh, so uh, the other thing with, with HIV, I, I've mentioned before that I heard a nutritionist, uh, explain that when you eat pork, the specific pork that we eat in the U.S., that you can have a blood test immediately after, which, you know what, it, it, if I had that money, I would consider getting a blood test, like without eating anything and a blood test after eating pork and kind of testing that theory and see, of course, it would have to be like a doctor that you trust because when you do stuff like that, I, I have a feeling because it's all interconnected that it's like uh it's like when you search uh blood pressure medication on your phone watch how quickly your ads will immediately start to change uh i know that in the past they would warn about uh against like when well, the future insurance companies are going to be able to find your search history and if they know that you're looking up diabetes medication then they know you have diabetes and uh it's, it's not quite there but I think that there is uh, concern for maybe like going and getting a test. Here's my point. In uh, w an interview that I heard where they were talking about the HIV virus and ultimately AIDS, they were saying that a lot of um, our bodies can take quite a bit of damage. And when they're in recovery, they will show signs of that lack of of health that it has and the how would you say the recovery that needs to still happen well if you were to take a test during that time you could easily according to this interview be diagnosed as uh hiv positive because they they will look into your immune system and for th this is why it's so dangerous when they have these tests that say have you been tested lately and it's like 
I, I have the feeling that they're targeting communities that go to uh, to each his own. Okay, I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum, but uh, the, the people that go clubbing or go raving and and do whatever the recreational drug or whatever they're doing there they're doing that to have their fun they're burning themselves out but if you were to convince those people to get a test on their immune system after one of these binges of course it would show lack of 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 health it's going to show that hey dude you don't look so well. Oh, yeah, of course. I've been raving the last three days. I've been popping pills and drinking nothing but alcohol for the last weekend. Like, of course, you're going to show some signs. But anybody that that is weak from the thing or they might even feel a hangover. And when they go out and get that test because, dude, I don't feel so good. I really hope this is nothing. You know what, dude? You might as well just get that HIV test. And then they'll check it. And, oh, look, your immune system is dangerously low. We got to get you on this really massively expensive medication that might fluctuate in price at any point that we want. It's like it's such a sad state that it's like uh, I'd like to know stats on how many of these diagnoses are are negative or how many people go into remission like how many people i i i'm always looking for those stories of hey this person was helped by this medication because he took it for this amount of time and hey as soon as he finished look his health is perfectly fine and he no longer has to take it for the rest of his life because every time i see uh, that somebody's a new customer to medicine, it's often a lifetime customer, including my brother, um, it, it, so many people. Um, yeah, yeah. It, uh, okay, man. It's like I, I should have made this a two-parter or something. Um, yeah, let me read you this because this really surprised me. I've talked about eugenics and I, I talk about how um, they say that the, the uh, Swiss people are so beautiful because they, they um, what is it called? They sterilized anybody that didn't have perfectly symmetrical features or did that uh, any uh, health concerns or any of that stuff. Like they did that for, I, I don't know how long, but I didn't know that this happened in the U.S., much less California. Here we go. Uh, California was considered the epicenter of the American eugenics movement, according to Edwin Black, author of War Against the Weak, Eugenics and America's Campaign to Create a Master Race. During the 20th century, first decades, California eugenicists included... Po included potent but little-known race scientists such as Army Venereal Disease Specialist Dr. Paul Popino, Citrus Magnate and Polytechnic Benefactor Paul Gosney, Sacramento Banker Charles M. Goethe, as well as members of the California State Board of Charities and Corrections and the University of California Board of Regents, wrote Black. 
Black said that within the first 25 years of eugenics legislation, California sterilized 9,782 individuals, mostly women, many of whom were classified as bad girls or diagnosed as passionate, oversexed, or sexually wayward. Some women were sterilized because of what was deemed an abnormal large clitoris or labia. In 1933 alone, Black found at least 1,278 compulsory compulsory sterilizations were performed, 700 of which were on women. On women, he said, California's two leading sterilization mills in 1933 were Sonoma State Home with. 388 operations and Patton State Hospital with 363 operations. Other sterilizations were also performed in centers at Agnews, Mendocino, Napa, Norwalk, Stockton, and Pacific Colony. Uh, A little more. Black noted, eugenics would not have been so much bizarre parlor talk had it not been for extensive finance financing by corporate philanthropies specifically the carnegie institution the rockefeller foundation and the harriman railroad fortune they were all in league with some of america's most respected scientists hailing for such prestigious universities uh, as stanford yale harvard and princeton the academics espoused race theory and race science and then faked and twisted data to serve eugenics racist aims. He described how the Rockefeller Foundation helped to create the German eugenics movement and even funded the program that the infamous Nazi doctor Josef Mengele worked in before he became the angel of death at Auschwitz. Okay, moving on. Um, The grand plan was to literally wipe away the reproductive capability of those deemed weak and inferior. The so-called unfit, said Black. The eugenics hoped to neutralize the viability of 10% of the population at a sweep until none were left except themselves. One solution offered was simply execution or euthanasia, as listed in a 19... 11 study funded by the Carnegie Carnegie's entitled preliminary report of the committee of the eugenics section of the American Breeders Association to study and report on the best practical means for cutting off the defective germ plasma in the human population investigating enough the most excuse me interestingly enough the most popular idea for euthanasia in the United States at the time was the employment of gas chambers. Um, isn't that insane? It's, it's like, I, I doubt that you'll ever hear any mention of that anywhere in, in like established media or anything. I I'd be surprised if I can even find any research at all on it. Um, that's why I kind of dog-eared this one. I think it, it might, uh, I might, try to dive in and maybe do some writing on that um let me see there was a couple other things i wanted to cover i know we're already past the hour mark maybe i can do um yeah and then i'll tie it into vaccines so I'll, i'll read three more three or four more parts um this one is is mentioning big pharma, so let me bounce to one thirty eight. Uh, where is it? Where is it? 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's why I marked this one. Uh, Perfax, perhaps Big Farm cares more for promoting their drugs than developing something better and safer. Published estimates predict that whereas the drug industry spent about $57.5 billion on U.S. marketing in 2004, it only spent $31.5 billion on research and development. Percentage-wise of the $235.4 billion in U.S. sales in 2004, promoter, uh, promotion consumed 24.4% of the sale dollar, while R&D took... 13.4%. In in other words, it turns into development and then it just turns into a business. It kind of makes me think of, uh, th- this is a bit of a stretch, okay, but uh, I don't know why my mind linked these two together. Uh, the creators of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Kevin Eastman and, and Laird. Kevin... And Laird, Kevin, Kevin and Laird is their last names. I'm missing the other name. But anyway, they originally created the Turtles. And as this thing grew, it grew to such an extent where they were so far away from the the creation of it. They were just sitting in meetings, um, boardroom conversations, and just so much of the stuff that they really didn't have a passion for that ultimately they kind of had to take a step back and and be more on the creative side because I, they they were kind of miserable because at first i mean they they're creators they're artists and that's what made them happy but I, I guess the the proper way that they could have done it would be to build a team around them and them stay at the creative level and and slash artistic level and have everybody else handle most of the business side because they said for a certain time all it became was just trying to protect the the um what's it called the intellectual property just suing anybody that that copied it and and just in and out of court constantly and it's just paperwork and nonsense but um the reason why i i quoted this one let me find um uh, when was so in this talks about okay so it was 2004 and let me see. You know, c- come to think of it, it's kind of like any corporation. I, I say this because I, I've, even in in my line of work, uh, working on elevators, I've worked at companies that weren't the greatest, and I've also worked at companies that had a better reputation. But I saw them go from uh, respectable. And I'm talking about on on the employee side. I don't know what the customers essentially thought, uh, but it became a company of like pointing fingers and everybody just covering themselves. And ultimately, that did such harm that a lot of people don't really want to work for that company, me included. And uh, when you are working at a company and then you have a bigger company buy it out and then you always hear it makes me think of this old episode of the Simpsons where they buy the power plant and these I think it was like Swedish 
guys are like super nice and sweet and everything. And then ultimately little things start changing more and more. And the, the thing is that if, if there's like a, a takeover and they're ultimately going to end up like firing half the staff and changing everything and Mac quote unquote, maximizing profits. It's, it's like, that's the number one thing that they always think about, which is such a stupid thing. Like if you made X amount of dollars today, you expect to make more of that as time goes on. It's like there's never contentness. They always want a constant rise. It's why you need to constantly make planned obsolescence. You need to make sure that your product falls apart at a certain amount of time or breaks or needs an upgrade or a software thing like it it needs to have something where you make the customer pull out their wallet a second time and give you more money and if you your business doesn't have that meth methodology then you're either going to struggle or you're going to need to have a couple uh different avenues of income um it's just it's uh it's one of those things that that just kind of corrupts everything. Like with without that as motivation, I feel that the world alone would be completely different. You know what? I I might bail on that fact, um, and then the vaccine one maybe. Let's see. This, this one I really needed to um, dig into because this was news to me as well. Uh, it's on aspartame. Americans aren't just being affected by chemicals and pharmaceutical products, uh, produced drugs. One of the many controversial chemicals now being used by billions, by millions of Americans is aspartame, an addictive sugar substitute found in most diet soft drinks and more than 5,000 foods, drugs, medicines, and most sugar substitutes such as NutraSweet, Equal, Metamucil, and Candorol. When heated to more than 86 degrees Fahrenheit, Aspartame releases free methanol, which breaks down into formic acid and formaldehyde in the body. Keep in mind the human body's temperature is 98.6 degrees and that formaldehyde is a deadly toxin. The remaining formaldehyde from free methanol then breaks down into formic acid, the the venom of stings. Um, Let me see. So, yeah, he gets into a little deeper into the the whole thing. But this is very similar to uh, uh, vaccine reactions. So the the formaldehyde is – so it only has to get hot enough as 86 degrees. So – the main place where I see aspartame and I – Good luck finding a replacement uh, or a substitute is in chewing gum and a lot of beverages Uh, with with beverages. It's a lot more easy because you can find natural sugar or organic sugar or those type of uh, alternatives. But go through a shelf's worth of gum and there's very few that do not have aspartame. It's it's just such a weird thing. So um, I've come across, actually, I, I have, I know I have a screenshot of one. I'll read that to you before. Mm, where is it? Where is it? 
So, come on, come on. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Uh, ABC News journalist breaks her silence, reveals she developed a heart condition due to the COVID vaccine. Um, this is what's her name? Oh, come on. Hmm. Doesn't say her name. Come on, man. Okay, I'm gonna need to bring that up, but just search that, and you'll you'll come across it. There's um, new. There's there's a couple others that have popped up, and I, I've tried to collect it, but again, it's a difficult subject to really cover. So I, I need to prep so much more to cover that. Um, but it, so they're putting this thing in chemical in this chemical in products that uh are generally kept cold because gum is is i mean you don't want it to melt so it's always stored in a cool dry place it's put in beverages diet drinks diet uh processed foods that are dehydrated like oftentimes when you find aspartame in something it's almost like they know and it's not anything that you're going to heat by any uh, amount and so if they know that it's it only takes 80 what was it 86 degrees for it to heat up then um you can almost guarantee that nobody's going to drop sick uh after immediately consuming this thing so when uh, somebody feels sick from formaldehyde poisoning they're going to be uh, so far away from the thing that it's just going to show as, as I don't know, they died of whatever causes. And with vaccines, it's often the case. Like people are not just dropping dead immediately after they're injected. Like they they feel fine. They might feel a little bit of pain and then the pain starts to increase and they feel sick and then they lie down. And it's like it, after a couple days of the vaccine is when people die or feel ill or show like crazy um i don't know paralyzed reactions or self uh, autoimmune uh reactions to their body like all those things are not something that the guy the 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 uh the slave the zombie as uh, to use his words um jim mars the zombie that's that's injecting you he doesn't know at all like it it, it if you remember when I went to the theater and I, I, the, they were asking about the, the, did you, did you get uh, injected? And I'm like, no, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Why? And I'm thinking as I'm looking at this guy, I'm like, you're not a medical practitioner and you're asking me something personal about my health. And I said, um, my family has adverse reactions to the, the formaldehyde and vaccines. I, I said something like that. And he just looked at me puzzled and he's like, oh, okay. And it's like, why are you asking a stupid question that it, it, it's not going to matter? I, I, I get it if somebody made you ask that question, but what are you saying in reaction to something like that? Do you think somebody is, is uh, I, I don't know hiding something that they're they're going to reveal by you asking like why aren't why aren't you getting this medication it, it's just <sighs> anyway all right the last quote i i had marked for the show 
Uh, on August 15, 2001, two elderly patients in Spain died within hours of receiving dialysis from Baxter products. Eventually, 51 more patients would die. Though the cause was unclear, the company's issue of world, worldwide recall of Baxter's two lines of filters, the sole common link between all the equipment used by the patients. Harry Kramer, the company's president at the time, apologized for the error, shut down the factory producing filters, altered competitors for the issue, and took a 40% pay cut along with a 20% cut for the other executives. The company's earnings dropped by $189 million as a result of the issue. The company took quick action to produce the impact of the event and prevented future recurrence as a result, suffered minimal damage to its reputation. Um, one more. Despite Baxter's troubles past, at the end of 2009, the company remained one of the top contenders for making the swine flu vaccine. This perhaps due to the fact that in 2008, Baxter was the first pharmaceutical company to announce the development of a swine flu vaccine. Look at these dates, okay? 2008, they say that they're going to start developing it. 2009, the, the thing happens. What is suspicious about the timing of Baxter's, two, Baxter's 2008 announcement is that the company applied for a patent of several viruses, including swine flu, on August 28, 2007. See what I mean? Problem reaction solution? Hegelian dialectic? Anyone? Uh, nearly two years before the disease was said to have sub, uh suddenly appeared in Mexico the fortuitous timing of Baxter's patent claim provided much gist for the mills of conspiracy theorists. One of Baxter's competitors was Novartis Pharmaceuticals. In 2006, Novartis acquired the Chiron vaccine company, which at the time was embroiled in controversy after Britain's medicines and healthcare products regulatory agency suspended the company's license to make the influenza vaccine Fluvirin in 2004. Both firms had agreements with the World Health Organization to produce a pandemic vaccine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I can I can go on further, but it, this, these are one of those things that is just, again, it's all interconnected and there's just so much more, but... Uh, there's plenty of examples on there of what I was talking about as well, where you have uh, one guy that uh, was pro-vaccine or, or whatever it is. And then, oh, lo and behold, he works for government now or vice versa. And it's like, oh, surprisingly that they had no opposition to releasing this medication worldwide that ended up killing people. It's like that that's the repeating story. But this is the interesting thing that uh, oh and the the thing that I, I made a note about which I, I was gonna touch on um, I guess that could be the ending note um, but um, it's interesting because uh, again in my life I've seen things uh, grow and I don't know if some of the ones that I saw grow ever even started out good because like uh when I was like in elementary school, I remember them introducing the recycle, reduce, reuse whole thing. And I, I came home like, dad, mom, we need to start recycling. We need to do this and this. And I, I was all gun ho 
planet yeah all this all this uh, uh hooray hurrah kind of thing and um th- that was controlled just like everything else it, it, it's like i said it, it's so interesting that uh it, it maybe none of it really starts off good but uh no matter what it seems like these these parasites these viruses these sociopaths these narcissists just get into this thing and uh it, it's to the point where where we're at we're getting squeezed pretty tight like the the middle class is is getting destroyed so much that it, it's just it's there's rich people and there's poor people and and that jump is is so crazy that it's like some people that that make six figures uh think that they're rich and they're not and when when we're talking the the guys at the top like we're talking money that that doesn't even make sense to us here at the bottom and um again what i was saying at the beginning i think one of the main ways to to kind of fight back is to kind of uh unite with with family and friends and and help one another it's like lighten each other's burden uh and that kind of helps everything move along better and going back to that theme park uh robbery that that i was talking about we know that that's how it is we know that when we go to a restaurant and buy a steak that is uh, a piece of meat that they bought at a cheaper price and then they're marking it up for their profit and um yeah there's nothing wrong with going out to dinner but know that it's probably not a good idea to kind of live off of fast food the entire time and, and all of that it's like if you can afford it and, and eat a little healthier like organic or at least try to avoid a little pesticides here and there and bad cuts of meat then yeah and um i know things like meat are very difficult to kind of get around but there is uh alternatives and although they say that um grocery let me see groceries same price uh, uh as going out um there was a thing that my wife was telling me that the groceries are at a point now where it's actually um might even be cheaper to go out and eat than to um and it's something that I, i'm going to look into and, and see how true that is i'm sure that there is certain dishes that without having a giant restaurant that buys hundreds and hundreds of dollars of food every week uh getting a discount it's going to be very difficult for you and your home to feed your family uh at a cheaper price for some of those dishes but a lot of the others i mean <sighs> ignoring the fact that you're going to have to do like a a ninja move like you know in the movies where they have like lasers point in all different directions and you got to kind of do all these somersaults and flips to get to the other side you kind of got to do that with ads now but most things have recipes online and i mean if you have a dish that you like it, it might be better to just do meal prep and you enjoy the thing that you like 
Um, unless, I mean, if you're savvy with your money and, and you're doing well, then yeah, the, it, it, do 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 your thing and uh, enjoy life as best you can. Um, I just, I know that it, it, it's tough and I know that it's, it, it gets to the point where it really does feel like you're running on a treadmill and it, it's like, you're not moving anywhere. And, uh, that's just how this world is run. It, it's run by a bunch of these people and the, the scams that are happening are happening everywhere in food in medicine in education in buying a car and buying clothes and shipping stuff to your home every single product has one guy that is like as soon as he hears a wallet open he's just like hey how about you give me a certain percentage of that over here and and that's why everything is revolved around buy 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 do you have this do you have the new one get the upgrade why don't you do this it, it's like kind of get the impression that every time you're thinking of doing or getting something these people are just like like a bunch of black bats just fluttering around everywhere around you and you got to watch watch your wallet make sure that these things don't like like suck up to your wallet and start pulling stuff out because the, the scams are deep and they've been doing it a lot longer than we've uh, been trying to, to show people so um unfortunately it kind of is what it is but it, it's not doom and gloom quite yet um it's kind of a funny thing to just end the podcast that way like love one another that's the answer but it, it really does feel that way and that's why it it feels uh very biblical in the times the the, the harder times get the more reminiscent of the times in those books that that that's warning us the the end times and and all of that and it's no surprise that the that the bible is teaching us about uh false prophets false leaders um misled people dividing families broken up relationships all these things that we do see and it, it constantly reminds me of the fact that they say that uh through the bible and through christ you're made stronger through weakness and it just feels like such a perfect analogy for the world that we're in it's it, it makes us feel very weak and some of us are being hit harder than others and leaning on a book like that that gives you strength when you're at your weakest is such a amazing saving grace that you can uh, have access to. And it's no wonder it's, it's always attacked and uh, they're trying to push us farther and farther away from it. But just keep in mind, all these leaders and false prophets and politicians and representatives and CEOs and what have you, they're all flawed. They're, that they're, all that is meant to fall apart. None of the stuff here is meant to last forever. And 
maybe it, it could serve us really well to have that in the back of our mind at all times and to realize that no matter who it is that's standing in front of you with a cape and an S on their chest, they're not your savior. A, a person that's going to stand like that in front of you is never going to be your savior. You're, you're um, being misled and you need to watch out. And um, yeah, uh, love yourselves. And I really appreciate for uh, you making it this far. I uh, hope I got some things to bounce around in your head. I'll touch on those subjects a little bit more on the Reddit. I don't remember the name and all of that, but I'll start linking it more and uh, making it more accessible so we can have more of a discussion there and we can move forward from some of these subjects. Uh, but thank you very much and uh, take care of yourselves. See you next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.